0: Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord on Resurrection Sunday morning? Amen. Oh, it's great to see each and every one of you. Welcome, especially if you're visiting with us. We are completing a three-week series today called Resurrecting. And I want to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever said something like this? I can handle it. No problem. I got it. You ever said that? I mean, these kinds of statements can occur when someone is perhaps offering to help you with something. Um, They can come when someone has expressed some reservation that you really can handle it. (laughs) And sometimes taking matters into your hands, believing that you have what it takes, can actually lead to disastrous results. Have you ever had disastrous results from taking matters into your own hands? It's kind of like these three guys on a plane. Hey, it's better than three guys in a bar, right? There's three guys on a plane. There's a pilot, there's a Boy Scout, and the smartest man in the world. Of course, the plane develops engine trouble and it's going down, and the problem is there's only two parachutes. The smartest man in the world grabs one. I'm sorry about this, he said. But I'm the smartest man in the world. I have a responsibility to the planet. And he jumps out of the plane. And the pilot turns to the Boy Scout and he speaks of how he has lived a long and fruitful and full life and how the Boy Scout has his whole life in front of him. And he tells the Boy Scout to go ahead and take the last parachute and live Relax, Captain, the Boy Scout says. The world's smartest man just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. (laughs) I know that's weak, but I like that story for some reason. So have you ever done something that you thought was so smart? that would improve your reputation only to see it all kind of fall apart? How do you respond when it becomes apparent that you're wrong about your abilities or your choices? I got to thinking about the little story and I came up with some possible attitudes the smartest man in the world could have had when he discovered halfway down, this is a backpack. He could have thought, how unfortunate the world is going to be without me. Right? I mean, he could have maintained his arrogance all the way to the bitter end. Perhaps he had a change of heart when faced with his own mortality. Cried out to God for deliverance or at least forgiveness. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a few of the people involved in this resurrection story of Jesus. We looked at Mary Magdalene and her consistent and constant underlying foundational joy throughout the whole week of his death and resurrection because of her great love for him. Last week we looked at Thomas. He's the realist who wanted proof. I want evidence of the resurrection before I'm going to believe. And we saw how Jesus came to him in his doubts and resurrected faith And today we're going to look at the disciple Peter. I mean, he's the one who claimed he would come through for Jesus. He was the one that could be counted on. I can handle it, no problem. One of the conclusions that we could draw about Peter is that Peter believed he was the best disciple. (laughs) I'm the best follower of Jesus. I'm better than all the rest of these guys. And we have so many scenes of Peter within the scriptures that we get a pretty good idea of uh, what he was like. There's this scene in Matthew 16 uh, where Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give him the answer. And they say, well, uh, who do you say that I am? And who is it that pops up? Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God good answer Peter right I'm sure he was thinking that's right I got it and Jesus kind of builds Peter up and he uses Peter's name which means rock as this illustration that he's going to build his kingdom upon this rock and I'm sure Peter's thinking that's me that's what I'm talking yeah and then Jesus Turns the conversation and he starts talking about his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And Peter, just having been all enthused about the call of Christ on his life. Uh, well, let's read this remarkable verse, Matthew 16, 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you good old Peter, right? I mean, first off, a person has to have quite a high level of, uh, well, they just have to think of themselves quite a lot to be able to take Jesus aside for a little talking to. And I hope you can see how Peter is cloaking this pride inside of perceived compassion and loyalty. (laughs) Don't we human beings have an amazing way of trying to make pride look good? (laughs) We can even make pride look compassionate or even humble sometimes. Now, I don't want anyone to know, but in case you were wondering, Pastor, it was me. I was the one who mowed down all the weeds in the church lawn. It was me who swept off all the front porch. I just want to be a humble servant. But I don't want anybody to know. You see, Jesus turns because um, he knows his destiny, and he responds to Peter's rebuke like this, the next verse in 1623 of Matthew. But he turned and he said to Peter, who he just built up, Get behind me, Satan. You are, a, you are a stumbling block for me, to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Scripture doesn't tell us how Peter responds to this, but I could see him saying something like this. What's the matter with him? I mean, pride is an ugly thing, isn't it? I was just trying to protect him. What do you get all upset about? See, Jesus had this spiritual way of thinking, and He had this destination in mind, this cross in front of Him. And Peter was thinking, on worldly terms, I'm not going to let that happen. There was a disconnect. And I would contend that pride blinds us to the reality, the spiritual reality around us. Because pride, everything gets filtered through it. And it fights every attempt to expose it. The great Proverbs uh, 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty or arrogant know-it-all spirit before stumbling, tripping up. I think we can make this point. Peter believed in himself. And it's vividly revealed in his boast on the night of the cru- before the crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples that they're all going to fall away. They're all going to desert him. They're all going to turn tail and run. Peter, still believing in his own efforts to be able to be the best disciple, makes the claim. I want you to hear the competitiveness in this statement. Even though all of these fall away, I will not. I, Peter... I am willing to die for you. Another less subtle way is, Jesus, I'm better than they are. Pride. Jesus tells Peter that, I don't think so, Peter. You're going to deny me three times, and to which I'm sure Peter thought, Jesus, not going to happen. Jesus is arrested later that night. Peter's there. And here's his defining moment, I think he feels. And so he must take a stand for Jesus. So he pulls out his sword and he attacks one of the guards and he cuts off the ear. Again, Jesus turns to him after replacing the ear and he says, put the sword back in the sheath." Jesus knows his destiny, the cross, and one of his own, Peter, is doing everything possible to prevent it from happening. And I think we could safely say this, Peter believed he had a better plan. And so I have to ask you, and I have to ask me, do you ever feel like your plans make more sense than God's plan? Oh, I know God wants me to serve him, but I want to do what I want to do. And when I hear that kind of thing, I always want to ask, "Well, how's it working out for you?" right? I mean, our culture has taken the path of this kind of I want to do what I want to do, this self-fulfillment, make myself happy. And now we have all of these kinds of societal epidemics. We have a drug drug epidemic. We have counseling centers overrun with clients. We have broken marriages. We have all-time highs of anxiety disorders, depression. I want to do what I want to do, we've said. And the lie being told people every day is that uh, we can all decide for ourselves what makes us happy and fulfilled, and it's a lie. We weren't created that way. And the facts, the ramifications, the consequences, the facts themselves bear it out. Eventually, life breaks down when we think we have a better plan. And that's what happened to Peter. We read about his denial over in Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard... And had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them, and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, you are, you're, you're one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. Some evidence. Peter said, and I'm sure it was quite emphatic, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, I don't know what you're talking about, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We don't know how far they were. He was probably in the outer court, Peter, and Jesus is in there on trial. There must have been some opening, but somehow the eyes of Christ met the eyes of the denier. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today. You, Peter, will deny me three times. And it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. Peter breaks. There's no doubt that Peter loved Jesus. He was just going about it all wrong. He, he, was, he was trying to love Jesus in the way that made the most sense to him. And that was obedience and trying hard and I want to be the best disciple possible. I've chosen to come after you and join your entourage here, Jesus. I will be the best. I will try my hardest. And all of that just revealed this this deep sense of pride, self-protection, self-elevation. Ever faced this kind of failure? A failure that relieves reveals some ugliness inside. I wish I could stand before you here today and say, yes, I have experienced this one time. (laughs) And I got everything straightened out. But the reality is that every time I try to do things on my own, every time I try to minister on my own, every time I try to love on my own, every time I try to parent or be a good husband on my own, The the, the pride rises and exposes itself. The text says that when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at him. And at the pinnacle of his worst moment, I think Peter is seeing the loving eyes of Christ looking into his soul. It's not a condemning look. It's not a, I told you so look. It is a, Peter, I understand going to be okay. And then it gets worse, folks. Jesus is sentenced to death by crucifixion. A crown of thorns is dug into his head. And he's stripped and he's beaten. He's he's, he's mocked and he's jeered by a hateful, vicious crowd. And he's forced to carry his cross to a hill called Golgotha, just outside of Jerusalem, but he's so weak from the beatings that he buckles under the weight of the cross, and a man's pulled out of the crowd. Here, you carry his cross. And they reach the site of the crucifixion, and the the cross is slapped to the ground, and Jesus is placed upon it, and... They drive the nails through His hands and His feet. And they hoist up the cross with a boom. and Drop it into the hole. His beaten and bloody. Body suffering and pain. And in Luke 23, 47, we... 49, we read this, and all his acquaintances, I assume that includes Peter, and the women who accompanied him, accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And Peter, no doubt, saw all of what was happening to his friend, Jesus, his Lord, his master. It doesn't say it in scripture, but I want to believe that Jesus on the cross picked him out of the crowd. Yeah, he's back there in the back. And he's weeping and he's remorseful and he's sad and he's, he's, he's a broken bundle. And I want to believe that their eyes met again and Peter realizes perhaps for the first time what this is all about. He, Jesus, is dying for me. My failure and my sinfulness and my pridefulness, and <laughs> it's dying there with him. And a, there had to be an overwhelming sense of, I don't deserve what he's going through for me. but now I understand how he talked about grace and he talked about the resurrection and he talked about life. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were unworthy sinners, Christ died for us. few hours later Jesus dies. Matthew gives us a great description that says the ground begins to shake. (laughs) We sang about it. The tombs opened and the dead saints came to life and the curtain in the temple that had separated the common man from the presence of God was ripped in two. Darkness covered the land in the middle of the day and one of the Roman guards who was Standing there beside the cross, he saw all of this. He became very frightened. Perhaps he's saying, what have we done here? He became very frightened and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And They placed the body of Jesus in the tomb and the disciples huddled together in a locked room. They still feared the Jews were coming for them. I wonder what was going through Peter's mind as he deals with his shame and how this has all turned out. And then, to top it all off, there's this Sunday morning event and Mary Magdalene comes running into the room announcing that someone has now taken his body. Not only have they killed him, they tried him, they killed him, now they've taken him and stolen his body. And Peter and John jump to their feet and race to the tomb. John, probably younger, probably a lot more fit, gets there first. (laughs) And Screeches to a stop at the, begin, at the entrance to the tomb, not Peter, he arrives sometime later and pushes on past into the very heart of the tomb. Sure enough, he's gone. And then scripture just says, and then they went home. How could this get any worse? As we know, Jesus had risen from the tomb, and uh, he appears to his disciples, and uh, he shows them his hands and his feet, and they realize this is Jesus. He has risen from the dead. And you know what is amazing about that first encounter with Jesus and his disciples after the resurrection? You know what's so amazing to me is we have Peter saying absolutely nothing. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It doesn't seem like that's Peter just wasn't like him to remain silent, but he must have been wondering how Jesus would treat him after what I've done. He must have wondered if he would be, maybe I'm going to be expelled from the group or be on probation probably for sure. I'm sure he's going to chastise me in some way. I know I deserve it. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, I remember years of my walk with Jesus where I almost felt ashamed to pray because of my personal failures I was continually bringing to him. And uh, I don't know, maybe you have done this. Have you ever made a lame commitment to God that uh, I'm going to do better? And you kind of knew that I have a history of failure, and so my the prediction for my future is more failure, but I'm going to make the commitment. I'm going to try harder. And then I learned something. I learned something about this thing called grace. I I, I learned that Jesus was never counting on me to be the good Christian that I thought I ought to be, like Peter. I realized that I'm no more capable of pulling this off than Peter was, that it was going to be his grace that was going to be my sufficiency. His life in me would do the work of the kingdom. His life in me would be able to love others. His life in me would grant me the power over temptation. His life would be my complete provision. He wasn't depending on me. I was depending on Him. Isn't it funny how we get that turned around sometimes? And I want you to know that's when life became like I always hoped someday it could be. Free, powerful, joyous, restored, fruitful. Just one more scene. One day long after all these events, Peter's out fishing with some disciples and Jesus is appearing to them on the shore. And They catch a lot of fish because he tells them how to do it. And uh, he, they come in and he fixes them breakfast and... Uh, The time has come to have a talk with Peter. Nothing's really been said about the denial. It's kind of the elephant in the room nobody's talking about, right? I wonder when Jesus is going to have his conversation with Peter. John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't know what more than these is. It could be the other guys there. It could be the livelihood of fishing, I kind of think it's all of the above. Do you love me more than anything? Peter responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Well, tend my lambs. That's shepherding. You, denier, failure. You, shepherd. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus says to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend or feed my sheep. You, Peter. Three denials, three restorations, three callings. Jesus had not given up on Peter. The original call to come and follow me and be my disciple is still valid. Simply put, Jesus doesn't give up on people. Aren't you glad today? (laughs) Jesus doesn't give up. On people, And you may be here today and feel that somehow somehow you've disqualified yourself. I'm sure Peter felt that way. I'm here to tell you, you haven't. Because no one has ever met the standard for God's approval. We're all like Peter. And Jesus is saying to you today that I still love you. The, the, The original call in your life is still valid. I still believe in you. I still have a future for you. Trust me. Jesus says, I stand at your door and I knock. And if anyone, (laughs) drug addict or prostitute, failure, denier, if anyone hears my voice, opens the door. I, Jesus, doesn't matter who you are, I will come in. I will dine with you. I like that picture. And he with me. Maybe you're a Christian that feels like a failure today. Perhaps you don't really like going to church. You just feel kind of spiritually inadequate. And uh, But hey, it's Easter and you'd really feel totally like a loser if you weren't here today, right? <laughs> Please hear this. Jesus is not evaluating your performance. He's not. He is not keeping track of how many hours you can go without sinning. (laughs) He doesn't have some spiritual spreadsheet where he's keeping detailed information about your sinful activity. Now you might, (laughs) but Jesus doesn't he he wants you to know that you're free from scorekeeping free when you come to him you are forever forgiven i know it doesn't sound right but that's grace and grace doesn't sound right but it's true His his grace, this gift just given to us, undeserving, unworthy, this grace makes us completely innocent of all charges. This grace is a full, complete, unconditional pardon. And so we walk out of the cell of self imposed bondage. It makes no sense to stay in prison when the door is wide open and no guards are posted, why would we stay there? Leave. You're free. I want you to bow your heads with me and I want to ask you a few questions. Maybe you thought that Jesus wouldn't accept you. Or perhaps you're using it as an excuse to keep distance from him. Maybe you've been believing something that just really isn't true. That he has all these rules or all these requirements. and It's just not true. I'm asking you today, would you let go of this self-imposed bondage, this prison cell, and walk out and leave? Or maybe you want your way, and maybe you're trying to mix God and and your own desire for self together. And if you're really honest, you see a lot of yourself in Peter. Protecting reputation, putting on a good face, making pride look humble almost, but inside so lost and so lonely and so hurt. For Peter, it was a denial, the fulfillment of this prophecy for him to break. And I ask, what is it going to take for you to break? Is your pride that strong that you're willing to forfeit what God wants to do in you, what He has for you? So the offer is to come to Jesus today. He died to take your sin on. He He did it so that you would be forever forgiven. He rose from the dead and is alive, confirming that He alone is God, that He alone offers this forgiveness from sin, that He alone provides new resurrected life for you. Will you come to Jesus? Father, in these closing moments, resurrection Sunday morning, the celebration of new life in you. We pause to ask your Holy Spirit to look into the deep corners of our life. We pause that you may be able to come in and expose the areas of pridefulness, selfishness, Father, sometimes we need a little help because we have become so adept at being able to make it look respectable. And Father, we just want, we want the fullness of your spirit at work in our lives. We don't want to miss the destiny that you've called us to. And for the person that may be here and is saying, you know, I want to come into the family of God and I want to know new life in Jesus today. I pray that in this moment that they would come to you and say, Lord, I'm offering my life today. I'm coming to you and saying, please, would you forgive my sin? And we know that you will. Would you uh, allow me to take advantage of your offer of grace because of the cross and that your sacrifice is my sacrifice. You paid for my sin. I, I accept your offer of grace today, and I want to know new life in you. Forgive my sin once and for all. Plant your Holy Spirit, the very life of God, in me. And Father, for the Christian that may be struggling with that old issue of pride today, Father, I pray for a breaking before you once and fresh and new and say I surrender all I surrender I surrender praise be the King of Kings we thank you for your work here among us today Father in the name of Christ we pray Amen let's stand together and worship the Lord